like a moment from a horror movie. You have been hanging out in the wrong clubs, Mr. Wayne. I've seen this movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Join the club. We've got jackets. And you stole it from a movie. We want you in our club, kid. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Burke Reviews Movie Club. I'm John Burke. And with me, as always, is Corey Starr, a.k.a. Corsese. How hello, you doing, Corey? Hello. I cut you off. I'm so sorry. I missed sorry. my cue. I, I was. I usually say, "What? How you doing, Corey?" And I didn't. My fault. Um, I was just going with the Corsese thing, uh, and that's because, listeners, we are on our last episode of Martin Scorsese Month, and on this episode, we're going to be talking about Cape Fear, his remake from 1991. Um, but before we do that, we like to catch up and see how we've been doing, and talk about what else we've been watching since the last time we recorded. So, Corey, how you doing? Oh, sorry, I bite. Oh, how are you? She's sleepy. I am okay. I've had a, a, a fairly long day, um, kind of a long week, but you know, uh, that's how things go. Um, we've had uh, mandatory testing because we had to, uh, you know, we they canceled all the tests at the end of the last year because of the pandemic. So um, now they had to like retake those tests, and it was it was kind of like crazy last minute. It has to be done kind of thing. So we had to do like alternate schedules and I ended up having to test, you know, like test administer two of the days, which was a little bit annoying um, because I was uh, really, really hoping to, to have like time to plan today. And then I didn't get the time I was hoping for. So that was not the worst, not the best. Um, but uh, but yeah, I did get to I did find some time to still socialize and I had a socially distant masked up uh Dungeons and Dragons session for the first time ever. I've been trying to play D&D for like the last 5 years and every time we try like no one could all schedule at the same time and I finally uh, was able to get a group that wanted to do it and we uh kind of jokingly started as like a Facebook group chat of like like we should do this and I I made a joke about a character and then that's the character I ended up building and then um, we ended up having a lot of fun tonight. Um, you know, uh, it's a group that I'm comfortable with. I think that's important for D&D to, like, really, like, get into, like, not being self-conscious or whatever about, like, being into the character and stuff. And um, I'll tell you, years of watching a bunch of movies make you pretty decent at coming up with story on the fly. You know what I mean? No. Like, I've, I've seen a lot of stuff, so it's I have a lot of things to pull from, so... Nice. I've been wanting to play, and my friends have been talking about it for a long time, but it just never comes to fruition. It's hard, because everyone's got to commit, you know, and it's not something that's easy to pull off all the time. Exactly, and it's, like, very time-consuming. It's not like a, you know, a round of Uno. Right, yeah. I mean, we started, we, we well, we probably played for, like, three hours, um, because we started a little late. I think we didn't really get going to like, 6.30, and then we ended at 9.30, mm-hmm. um, and but yeah, like and it, the time flew pretty quickly, and uh, at the same time we didn't do a whole lot because we were all of us were being very like apprehensive. We none of us wanted to be the reason we died so fast, kind of thing. So we were, I think, being overly cautious. And our DM got a little bit like, guys, it's I'm not gonna set up something to kill you in the first ten minutes. Like you gotta just make some decisions. <laughs> we're like, okay, but um, I think we we were in the middle of a puzzle when we had a pause, and we're like real close to uh to solving um it now we're still kind of like talking through some stuff in the chat but uh it was fun it was a lot of fun something i've been again wanting to do for a long time and uh just never was able to pull it off and finally uh had my first real session with you know a character i finally made completely even that 
creating characters in the past, I never got past like the initial couple of like things because there's so many decisions you have to make and it gets real, you know, like, oh, what if I choose this and I don't like it kind of, you know, apprehension. But um, this time I just kind of went with it and was like, I'm just going to let things be. And uh, yeah, a lot of fun. If you've never played, I, I definitely say, you know, if you're into games and stuff too, because that's the thing, you, you definitely have to be into games and I 100% am. So it was, it's a natural fit for the most part. It, and it is... Um, for, I did notice, like, cause I also, I was still getting like, uh, messages from students and stuff on, we have like this service, like where they can turn in their assignments and where we have like our virtual classroom kind of thing. And I was getting messages from them cause they had a, a due date tonight. So I was like having to like read messages. And so I, I, I checked out mentally a couple of times during the game, which I did not want to. Um, it was just like, I saw these, I had like seven notifications and I'm like, oh my God, I gotta make sure everything's cool you know that's my number one priority so uh but otherwise i was very very into it and had a good time so how have you been Corey? nice um i mean my weeks are just a blur um fine just working a little overtime and you know that's that's about it like <laughs> you know True. i just stay home well that's kind of what we're supposed to do although my state opened up all of the they removed all restrictions from restaurants and bars now are you so, kidding uh, me i am not i am not um and so it's full capacity at all of those things as, unless the two there's two caveats that obviously if the restaurant chooses to keep those restrictions okay. it's their property so a restaurant can make that choice but most are going to want to make money um and then uh the local government so like the uh the county governments or the city governments can hold restrictions but the caveat to that was that if if it's i, I don't remember the wording our governor used but it has to be like you have to prove that there's a need for those restrictions people die like i mean right um well that's the way i look at it. you know, remember when like it was a common trope in like TV shows and stuff where like a character would like check out at a grocery store and they're like, Oh, you're the 200th customer. And they'd win like a shopping spree or whatever. Yes. So I'm thinking that's what happened. Like 200,000 people have died. So he's like, Hey, open up all the restaurants and bars, you know, celebration. We hit 200,000. Mm. What, what an achievement. And a con Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. But our state's like, you know, whatever. Um, we're, which that's the thing. I, I forget how open our state is compared to other states because I live here. So for yeah. me, it's like I am still passive about a lot of things, but it's open if I wanted to, right? Where like other states, it's just not even a choice. And I forget that. You know what I'm saying? Like in my head, like everyone's on the same page as us. I'm like, oh no, everyone's not. That's it's so weird. But um, I mean, I mean, Bill and I, we're not eating in restaurants still, and we're, you know, I yes. mean, I went to one event this week, and I'm going to an event in a couple weeks, but that one's outdoors and socially distanced, and they only paid, you know, like, had 50 tickets, but, like, driving by some of our restaurants, they're, especially a particular one, it's a steakhouse that's a large franchise, like, mm. driving by like the whole like as soon as stuff opened you wouldn't be able to tell that there was a pandemic going on like they and i've seen pictures from friends that have eaten in there and you know one friend was like you can't socially distance in there anyway if you wanted to and they have like little plexiglass in between the booths and it's like that's not gonna do anything because their walkway is two feet wide and you know i don't know so you know like even though some of our places are supposed to be half capacity i know that they're not 
Yeah, and um, I've I have eaten in a couple of restaurants, but the the two inside times I've dined um, have been in restaurants that were empty besides us when mm-hmm. we sat down. Um, and I, there have been at least one other couple or family or whatever at, at one of those restaurants, but they were not next to us because it was empty. Um, and that was my, my caveat when I went, it was like, I was like, look, if there's people here, we'll get it to go. And if there's not people then we can sit and eat, um, because that was Kathy's preference. Um, which I, I mind too, because especially like if you're getting like fries uh, with anything, fries don't hold up well in containers. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like. Um, if there's any kind of moisture in the in the packaging, the fries get soggy and they're no good. Yeah, and even just like, from being hot, they yeah. Right. Yeah, and that's so like um, which is the weird thing about fast food fries, right? Because most of the time those are like open air and they're good, but like when they put them in like a styrofoam container or like even like a plastic container, the 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 moisture builds up and they they make the fries not as good. They're just never as fresh as if you can get them served on your plate or whatever. Mm. And so. Uh, one of the places is like a burger place, and it's a really good burger place. But um, it's it often it's a C? no. Okay. I don't even know what the C place could be. Can I Should see I know it? what that is? I don't know. If it's a chain, we probably should. Um. Well, we have one here in Boise, and when Kathy came to visit last year, she's like, "Oh, let's eat there because it's right across the street from us. They have really good burgers. They have crinkle fries, which I don't usually like crinkle fries, but theirs are mm. perfect." Um, and she said that you guys were getting one in Bartow, so ah. she was oh, excited to try yeah. it. She loves that place. I think that place is overrated. Dude, I do not, maybe I do they're not, not as good as ours. Kathy thinks they are. Kathy will wait forever to eat at that place. I think it's overrated. I do not understand why people like it so much. Um, especially, like, people wait around the corner. Like, the drive-in, the drive-through of that place mm-hmm. is ridiculously slow. And I've oh. seen like the biggest backups of lines waiting to get food from there. And it's like nothing I've ever had there is worth waiting that long for. Like nothing. It is fine. It's not bad, but it is by far not the best burger I've ever had. And I don't know why people like it so much. Um, it's just me. But and I do like crinkle fries. Sunny. Uh, oh, crap. Well, <laughs> that really bar- delicious I, chain barbecue <laughs> in the right. southeast. I love their crinkle fries. I think their crinkle fries are amazing. But I mean, I um, like to have them with coleslaw. Okay. So I put some I mean, coleslaw on my like fork, coleslaw. and then I put a French fry on my fork. No ketchup, but, no sauce. <laughs> um, this this burger place, I believe, is a chain, but it's more like a franchise chain where like everyone's a little different. And oh, okay. Um, it's it's also relatively new, and they actually not only did they put one in uh they put one in Haines City actually the 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 place that you're talking about, but oh. they opened one in in uh, Winter Haven now too. So that that oh, actually really? opened during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, right in front of uh, where the old the older uh supermarket that you love is um like right it's right next to the uh the diner that's open 24 hours and rhymes with lenny's um so anyways um let's let's i I guess really love food guys sorry yeah let's get into uh what we've been watching um i'm gonna i'm gonna go first because i'm pretty sure you've gone first the last two weeks and uh i don't have a lot to offer to be honest that's the part of the reason i'm going first um, I haven't been able to watch hardly anything. Uh, I did finish um, three movies because we were watching them, and I, I have four film classes, right? I have like uh, two sections of visual technology, which is my entry level course. Then I have film one, film two, film three, one section of each, uh, and then journalism, right? So that's my six classes. Um, and so Viz Tech, 
film one and film two were watching movies. So I was watching movies. Um, in the past, I would show them in class, but now they have to watch them on their own time because of this digital service that we have. So I have to watch them on my own time. And uh, I have to watch them before, so I write questions for them. And so I've finished watching uh, the 1956 Invasion of the Body Snatchers, uh, 1953's Shane, and um, uh, Brain Fart. Oh, and Hail Caesar um, from 2016, the uh, Coen Brothers film. Um, and so I finished watching all three of those. Uh, but I also watched... Um, I don't remember. Did I watch The Devil all the time before we recorded last week or after? What's What day was the 19th? It was Saturday. I think it was Saturday. Right? Pulling up my calendar. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So then, I, yeah. So since we recorded, I watched The Devil all the time, which is on Netflix. Um, it. I don't know if you've heard of this movie, Corey, uh, but it has an insanely amazing cast. I mean, we're talking Tom Holland, Robert Pattinson, Bill Skarsgård, uh, Mia Waskakowski, oh. Haley Bennett, Riley Keough, Eliza Scanlon, uh, Jason Clark, Harry Melling, who uh, you would recognize if you are a fan of the Harry Potter movies because he is the, the cousin. But he's also recently in um, The Old Guard and uh, Buster Scruggs. Um, he's in the second of the five or six short films in that in that movie. And then Sebastian Stan. Um, it, it's an insanely great cast. It is a really dark movie, but Matt and I were reviewing it for Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. And um, we were both fans of it. Uh, fans, not I, I'm not saying we enjoyed it, because it is not a movie you're meant to enjoy. It is definitely like a very kind of dark look at humanity. Um, but uh, really, really well made and the performances are insane. Um, then uh, I watched one or two episodes of A Legend of Korra. Um, but I, I am prepping for movie astrology. We're going to be doing 1970. And it turns out that 1970 is not a great year for film in a lot of ways. As in, I would say most, most years that we've covered so far on astrology, there's like four or five movies that everybody knows. Like in the, in the list somewhere, right? 1970 feels like there's nothing that people really talk about um, for the most part. Like, that's probably a gross overstatement. But on our list, because we do it by uh, gross, right, worldwide box office, and the top ten, like, almost nothing, that, like, movies that we were like, oh, my God, I can't believe I haven't seen that. It's just like, I've never heard of this. Um, one of those movies is called Love Story, I've which I watched. I It's such a generic title that it's hard to say if you've heard of it. Or you just know that love story because it's love story. It's the words love and story. It is such my a generic My mom liked title. that movie. Sorry. It's it's not a bad movie, actually. It, it's not a great movie. But I watched that um, th- last night. And then I started watching. And I'm, I am just over two hours into the four-hour documentary Woodstock um, Three Days of Peace and Love, I think is the full Holy title. Holy hell. Uh, but it is really amazing because, one – Whoever had the wherewithal to film this was was a genius because, uh, you know, like Woodstock was getting a lot of publicity and stuff like that. But it was still like it. Did, I don't think anyone knew that it was going to be what it became. You know what I mean? Like this iconic yeah. concert. So the fact that they, they captured it is great um, for me as uh, I'm having some similar experiences to when I watched The Graduate for the first time, because Wayne's World 2 covers The Graduate, but also Woodstock, this documentary. And uh, so like. In Wayne's World 2, there's a part where Garth says, you know, because they're doing Wayne stock. 
He's like, don't eat the red rope licorice that can cause a dental emergency. And uh, it was a reference to the brown acid in this documentary because there was brown acid circulating at Woodstock that was bad, but not supposedly poison. Although it seems to be like they keep bringing it up. So I'm wondering if it becomes like where, no, you know, it's really dangerous. Don't take it. But uh, just hearing those little references that Wayne's World makes to it is always like, you know, at the time it was funny because it was funny. Now it's funny because it's like a it's an inside joke that I'm now a part of. You know what I'm saying? Um, so uh, I'm two hours in. I still have two hours more to watch or so. It's it's not quite four hours. It's like three hours and forty four minutes, I think. Um, but it's it's a documentary that I I really have been wanting to check off my list. And again, like it's a concert that everybody knows. I gotta say, I I'm up and down on the music. Like some of the music I really really like. And some of the music is just like, ugh, this is the type of music I, I don't like when I think of this era kind of thing. I'm just, um, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, it's like no offense. It's not that it's bad. And I am definitely, it's funny listening to some of the philosophies of uh, the people they interview. Because you're just like, yeah, I don't know how I feel about some of the things you're saying, but it's it's fine. Um, I get why you felt that way in 1970 or whatever year Woodstock actually takes place. But the movie's 1970, so I'm assuming it's like 69 or 68. Um, I don't actually, it's my, my history is not the strongest, uh, outside of movies. So, but that's what I've been watching. I've really had nothing else, uh, time-wise. Um, I've been watching like videos and stuff for my classes, like prepping things and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, otherwise I just, I just have not had free time to watch a lot. And I'm sad about that. I want to watch more movies. I just have not had the, uh, the opportunity. So what about you? I um watched the other six episodes of Pen Fifteen. Um, I love that show. I'm actually ready. I'm gonna give it another watch probably next week. Um, I watched on Shutter a movie called Spiral. Um, okay. I'm rewatching the Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. I'm getting um geared up because they're doing the Haunting of I think it's Bly Manor, which is coming mm. out soon. Um, I love The Haunting of Hill House. Like, I think that it's perfect. I love all of the characters in the family. Um, and I think that, you know, if you're able to empathize with every single person in a seven-person family, that's pretty, that's pretty impressive to me. Um, and then I went to that screening on Saturday of Evil Dead and I was in the same room with Bruce Campbell. Oh man. Yeah, he was pretty great. Um he told a lot of really cool stories about the movie um and like the making of it and just different things that happened like the actual cabin that it was filmed in apparently a murder occurred in. Oh. So um I mean he also said that, like, you know, no one was staying at the on set. I mean, it, they didn't even use any sets. It was like a real cabin. It was a real forest and stuff. But nobody stayed in the cabin overnight. And one morning they came in and, like, the $20,000 camera is still sitting there. The $5,000 sound mixer is still there. But all of their power tools had been stolen. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, he just had a lot of really cool stories. So I would say if you ever have a chance to check out a screening with him or like to see him in any speaking in any capacity. He like has very compelling stories um, and he's so funny. So yeah, so that was a lot of fun. 
And that's it. Well, um, that still feels like more than what I watched. So that's, you know, uh, I wish I could watch more things. And I also, I, I'm very jealous that you got to be in the same room with Bruce Campbell because I do love him um, very, very much. But that, I think, will uh, lead us to a, a quick but needed, because uh, it's kind of late for us recording, we're going to get to a commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about Cape Fear, uh, Martin Scorsese's version of it, uh, or his take on it, from 1991. And we'll be right back. And we are back. Cape Fear is from 1991, as I said, uh, IMDb. Uh, rating of 7.3, that's the user score, 73 meta score. Um, it is a tough subject matter. Uh, a convicted rapist released from prison after serving a 14-year sentence stalks the family of the lawyer who originally defended him um, based on a uh, novel from John D. McDonald and uh, earlier screenplay by James R. Webb. And I'm assuming there's one more screenplay of Wesley Strick, which is probably the version that... Uh, Scorsese would direct. Um, it stars a regular for him at the time, Robert De Niro, uh, which, man, I have so many things to say about this movie, as Max Cady, Nick Nolte as Sam Bowden, Jessica Lange as Lee Bowden, Juliette Lewis as Danielle Bowden, and then um, I guess it's worth mentioning uh, the private investigator, Joe Don Baker, who is quite a familiar face, um, and then uh, Robert Mitchum is the... the uh, lieutenant that he's working with at first that Sam Bowden is working with and Sam, um, Robert Mitchum played Max Cady in the original film from 19 um, well, I don't see the date for the original in front of me uh, 1962 so uh, cool little like nod to the original getting the original Max Cady to be in your movie as this uh, cop and Gregory Peck as Lee Heller is also worthy of note so um Oh, and she's got to get referenced. Uh, Lori Davis is played by Ileana Douglas, who seems so familiar f to me, but I also did have not seen anything else she's really in. Like, she's in a bunch of, like, extra roles and stuff, but she reminds me of somebody so much. Um, well, that's not true. I've definitely seen her and stuff, but I just don't, re like, distinctively remember her. For, like, she's in Ghost World, which we both have seen. Uh, she's a stir of Echoes. See, um, I don't remember her in that, but I've only seen Ghost World once, so. Um, she's the art teacher. For yeah, the summer I, school that Enid has to go to. She's also in Six Feet Under. Which I did watch, but I've only, I haven't seen in years. But she's definitely got like a familiar face, and I, mm -hmm. I recognized her. But um, So, uh, I started with the other thing. So I guess, Corey, why don't you tell us your thoughts on Kate Pierce, since this was your pick, too. Um, so, there... <laughs> There are some really weird things in this movie that were kind of off-putting. Um, I mean, again, I would say this movie is trying to be off-putting for sure. Yeah, but there are just some weird things in it, or like some things that like totally took me out of the movie, and I was like, "No way, um, no way." Can you give an example, or is it no. spoilers? Spoilers. Um, I'll definitely talk about them in spoilers, but um, I don't know. Like, this is my least favorite movie we've probably watched this month. Um, well, you know, Corey, I'm, I'm about to school you and it's oh going to hurt. Um, God, go ahead. So I, I love this movie and I, the number one reason 
is 30 seconds into this movie, I realized that this was Scorsese doing Hitchcock. And I love Hitchcock, especially his suspense thrillers. And this is Scorsese's, like, hey, I'm going to make a Hitchcock film. Now, there's some context that I ran into not knowing, but um, I, I can't, I'm actually bummed because I can't pull up the article that I had read all this. Oh, here it is. Um, I, I already had it on a tab. Uh, so uh, this article is from directorseries.net, uh, which I had never encountered before, but I, I did uh, searching because as soon as the, the music started at the beginning of the film, I was like, this feels like a Hitchcock score. And sure enough, the composer that the music was originally composed by uh, is a regular collaborator of Hitchcock, including doing Psycho. Um, and I believe the original score for uh, Cape Fear or something like that. I can pull that up momentarily. But so I was like, OK, well, the, I nailed that. And then the movie started going. I'm like, wow, a lot of this feels like Hitchcock immediately. And so I did a search of uh, Cape, you know, Cape Fear, Scorsese, and Hitchcock and found this article that I am uh, – I don't see the author's name of this article, but it's directorseries.net. So I'm assuming it must be like a one-dude kind of thing. And sure enough, this guy's breaking it down in his own take. Again, it's not – this is not like an official like Scorsese said this in every instance, but he there he pulls quotes from Scorsese in interviews and stuff. One of the things that I found really interesting was that this originally was going to be directed by Steven Spielberg. And at the time, Martin Scorsese was looking to maybe do Schindler's List, and they flipped. And Why did they do that? Um, well, one, Spielberg directing this makes zero sense. This is nothing like what Spielberg has ever dabbled with. Um, it, can you imagine a Spielberg movie that well, centers around a, ra a rapist? Like, that doesn't, that doesn't, I don't know. Like, there must have been a reason that they swapped because he was lined up to do it. You know what I mean? Like, well, keep in mind now. I don't know what you know about their past, but they were uh, they're friends, and they were collectively a part of a group of directors that are lovingly called the Film Brats. They grew up being film nerds, and they became even bigger film nerds. And uh, um, Spielberg frequently collaborated with Universal Studios. Scorsese didn't, but Scorsese was kind of locked into a contract, and they were forcing him to make a movie. And so. Uh, I don't know. I don't think there is a reason. Um, there's not a reason given, but they were friends. And I, honestly, I would imagine that Spielberg is probably like, this seems more like your type of movie, even though this again, the way Scorsese chooses to shoot this is like no other that he's done because um, he's he's like taking this opportunity to explore the again, his cinematic nature. Hitchcock would have been a huge influence for all of these guys. Um, and he, he comes at this in so many ways that just feel like Hitchcockian with, uh, obviously the story itself being a thriller, very up Hitchcock's alley, especially later American Hitchcock. Um, the, the cinematography style is all Hitchcock. Uh, there's, you know, canted angles. There's some definitely some Scorsese in this. It's not to say this is strictly him doing an impression of, but it's definitely him like flexing his film knowledge in a way that is if if you have studied enough hitchcock you will recognize quickly um which now i'm just recalling you've not seen rear window you've not seen north by northwest right? no correct yeah so those those two definitely as more rear window i would say in this in vertigo as well um and so for me this was just like i'm watching a filmmaker who i already admire basically showing a filmmaker that he admires which i also admire so i was just eating this up because it is a cinephiles you know study it's it's you're watching an expert 
demonstrate the skills of another expert in a way that is uh, original, fresh. Even uh, Jessica Lange's hair and style mimics uh, Hitchcock's tropes of, of having like a blonde lead. Um, her name is changed from the original script. Uh, I don't remember what the, the original character's name, but here it's Lee, which I feel is most likely a, 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 you know, a call out to Janet Lee. Um, a, a regular, you know, an iconic actress uh, of the Hitchcock era. Um, and uh, can I just say, too, this is 1991, right? So De Niro's been acting with Scorsese since Mean Streets, which was 71. So 20 plus years, right? I don't think I've ever seen the dude more jacked than he is in this movie. This dude is so ripped in this film. It is ridiculous. Like, he is... When you see him at the beginning of the movie with his like his shirt off, I'm just like, holy crap, dude! De Niro is like ripped. He, like he's gonna do uh, the Meet the Parent movie in like ten years, and he's like an old. Oh my dude. god! <laughs> I didn't think about that. <laughs> like it's crazy that he's so jacked in this film. Like I don't know how much he worked out to be this guy, but um, crazy to me uh, how good he looks in this movie. Um, and uh, I mean, at the same time, horrifying, evil, scary guy in this movie. But um, yeah, I think this was his scariest. Like, I'm trying to think because, you know, uh, I think this was his scariest role that I, you know. Yeah. And the movie, the movie is it wants you to be uncomfortable. Um, there's the use of color uh, in the film is very interesting. And uh, there's some times where it goes into negative, which I think is might be one of the things that you didn't like. Um it was jarring, but I feel again it was in in vain in in the idea of the Hitchcockian style of drawing attention and things like that. Um, I I I mean, one the story is already really good. It it is a very compelling story, and it, it poses an interesting conundrum because the DA, which I won't say what happened, but the DA or not the DA, the, the defense attorney, which I guess is the DA, um, at least it's the same initials. Uh, <laughs> is the one he's after and you don't usually expect the person to go after the person who defended them in, in court right well so i like mean that well i i feel like yeah. there's spoiler elements to that statement so that's why i'm like i'm trying to allude to it without getting into the the why right but um there's some really interesting stuff that is explored because of that and i think um you know again it's what we've seen in the movies that we've watched this month that Scorsese likes to do, like how do you fit in or where do you belong? And I think that's, that's played within some different ways here, but it's still there. Cause like you have this family that's supposed to be this like, you know, perfect little family, you know, it's like husband, wife and daughter, but we find that the family's not perfect by any means. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of drama between everybody in the family. Um, but they put on this facade that they are this, you know, happy little, you know, institution. Um, and they've moved to this small town, you know, like to try to, to, I think, paint that image. So I think there is that, that social pressure element that we've seen happen, um, come back into this. And, uh, I do know that I, I, um, purchased the original and I'm planning on watching the original. It's, uh, there's some major differences, um, to like the setup even, uh, than this one. So I, I like that alone. Just like the, um, from, if you read the synopsis of the original film, uh, Sam Bowden's character witnesses the rape and testifies against Max. Oh, King. interesting. So right away, significantly different that, setup than this. Which, like you were saying before, how you wouldn't expect this to necessarily be the storyline, that would make mm -hmm. more sense. 
Right. That's a much more traditional story, right? Like the guy saw something. So now the guy's out and he's like, I'm going to get you, you know, here it's like, "Mm, that's not usually who you would think you would want revenge on. So what's the cause of the revenge? And that's what I think is kind of interesting about this. But, um, I, again, I, this movie is, uh, there's some scenes that definitely made me very, very uncomfortable. Um, less than it could have been. And I think, again, I want to give praise to Scorsese making you even the worst, I think the worst scene as terms of like the subject matter that you're expecting when a rapist is a a main character, uh, is still done mostly from most of the worst stuff is shown. It's not shown. It's, you know, like we cut away from it and we know it's happening, but we don't see it. And I'm always grateful for that. You know, like he doesn't go full. Um, he gives more than I was expecting, but it still doesn't go as far as it, it easily could have. Uh, it, it cuts away, which I also think is still kind of a nod to the old studio style filmmaking. You know, you mm-hmm. don't always show the horror. You cut away from it, but our mind paints the horrific it, picture. Yeah. Enough. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I think there's a lot of great here. I actually think this is one of the, the last really good Nick Nolte performances. Um I think he's good in this. Uh, I love Jessica Lange. Obviously, a lot of there's been a big Jessica Lange resurgence because of American Horror Story, um, and Julia Lewis is really good in this. Um, and oh, oh, see, there's so there's so many little like Hitchcock things that I know you will get, but those some of them are spoilers, so I don't want to uh, to say yet. Um, but that is that is if you and again, he's not strictly channeling Hitchcock, but Hitchcock is a heavy influence that he's, he's uh, dabbling with in this movie and people who have studied the latter, like thriller Hitchcock films, um, mainly like psycho uh, rear window vertigo. You will, you will get a lot of that style in this movie for sure. Um, If there's anything else, non-spoiler, do you want, or are you ready to move to spoilers? Ready to move to spoilers. Let's do it. Guys, from here on out, we're going to talk about Cape Fear from 1991 in great detail. You have been warned. So the ending of the movie, the close-up of Juliette Lewis's eyes, uh, which is her character's name is Danielle Bowden, um, and the voiceover is very reminiscent of the ending of Psycho, the close-up of Norman Bates' face, but mm-hmm. the mother's voiceover, um, and that implication that we don't necessarily know what happens from there, um, because I think there's an implication. Uh, Danielle is a very complex character, and I, I never can fully tell. Now, I had said I'd seen this movie before. I am convinced I only saw the ending on the houseboat. Oh, when I was a kid, um, I don't. I must have been maybe watching my own movie, and then it ended, and I came out into the living room and finished watching what they were watching, or I was not paying attention to the rest. But uh, the thing is, we when I was a kid, we used to go uh, to like a local like camping ground type thing, and we it, we didn't camp, but we had like a uh, like a mobile home type rental thing right like you would it was like on the, the lake and you'd rent the little mobile home type thing and uh I'd, I'd stayed there many times and that's what the houseboat reminds me of that place and so that was like i i don't know if that was why i didn't like it as a kid if it like felt too much like the place we were actually going to and this creepy thing was happening but that that scene where he like he looks at her on the boat and he says like did you get the book and she like she seems way too happy and I think it's supposed to be that she's acting because she is like a, in the theater and stuff. And that's even how their, their first interaction is. But at the same time, I can't tell if she's actually got a little bit of that, like Stockholm syndrome type of thing. You know, here's the crazy man that my dad, you know, was trying to keep I, away from us. 
yeah, I felt like it was a little bit of rebellion. Her, like, you know, I don't know, like, independence. Um, I, I didn't feel like she was acting. But her actions seem to speak counter to that, right? Because she throws hot water on him right after that, which does nothing. Fair. Which is, and then later she lights him on fire, well, right? <laughs> I don't think that at first she's that scared of him. I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know. She doesn't, I, mean, I don't know. But now the whole movie is framed from her. And that's the important thing. I think it's easy to forget because the opening scene is her talking. Mm-hmm. And like just in a mid, a mid talking close about... up or so. That's all. We don't know where she is or who she is. This story. She's telling us this story. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think we're supposed to wonder if it happened the way it happened or not. I think, I feel like because there's the implication that, uh, they go on about their lives as if nothing's happened afterwards, that maybe some of this is like a, a fictitious tale of a, of a child. You know, like it's her mm. maybe like ex- exciting, like just because of the, the way it's framed that it opens with her, it ends with the close up of her. And then I can't remember her exact words at the end, which I will look up because I'm sure it's on the quotes page, but um, it seems to uh, imply that maybe, maybe it was an unreliable narrator and that we shouldn't take everything at its face value. Um, but uh so her last lines i was i was completely right it was right at the top of the um we never spoke about what happened at least not to each other fear i suppose that to remember his name and what he did would mean letting him in letting him into our dreams and me i hardly dream about him anymore still things won't ever be the way they were before he came but that's all right because if you hang out on if you hang on to the past you die a little every day and for my and for myself i know i'd rather live so i guess i'd I I just forced this idea that it could be a dream, but it's definitely, you know, um, this idea that they were able to just like walk away from it. Like there were two people murdered in their house and they ran yeah. from it. Remember like, that's like, uh, you just kept living. Uh, and then her first even, line. So go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, even him, I I think he died. Um, you know, at the end. Uh, Mac. Katie. Mac. Yeah. 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 Totally. I think he died too. Um, uh, my reminiscence, this is the opening of the film. My reminiscence, I always thought that for such for such a lovely river, the name is mystifying, Cape Fear, when the only thing to fear on those enchanted summer nights was the magic, was that the magic would end and the real life would come crashing in. So like, you know, like that, that's how the movie opens. And then we get the whole backstory and then it ends with her talking again. I, I feel like she's the one telling the story. Um, and I think that's significant in the fact that she's a kid and, uh, you know, the mysticism and all of that is, is there that, that kind of loving of him that seems to happen, but at the same time, there's still like a fear and apprehension. I think we're supposed to kind of question how accurate what we see is. Um, but the twist of the DA, uh, he, he, he chose to do the, the right thing quote-unquote as in he believed this man to be guilty and thus refused to defend him completely which is wrong ethically because that's the the role of the da right like you're supposed to defend your client yeah but you know that was just like one of the things that i was like really guys it's 1991 their whole thing is that she was promiscuous that doesn't that doesn't make it Oh, uh, I mean, let's not uh, forget the Me Too movement happens in what, uh, 2015? 
and that's when we really start using the term like victim shaming and like it's becoming a, a much more hot button issue but it's still still an issue i mean it's it's the same thing like you have a movie like let's say it comes out in 1995 and it's about racism you're like oh well that's that's racism ended with the civil rights movement right like no I, it's still happening right now but i mean would it make it okay to absolutely brutalize a woman and rape her if she's promiscuous men are promiscuous oh there's a double standard Corey. <laughs> like for a hundred percent oh i know but i'm just like that why why would that make him get away with this scot-free though too especially when we see that which i'm sure it happens i'm not saying that it doesn't happen and i'm looking at it with my eyeballs too you know yeah. like but i'm just like i felt like that was i want to say that it was like dated like from you know the earlier original movie which it probably wasn't i was very young when this movie came out um you know and i can't really remember like social socially what was going on but it, it, well, I mean, yeah. that it, that kind of took me out too like every time oh she was promiscuous i'm just like i don't know I, I don't feel like that should take you out because I totally think that's something that could still happen. And in fact, we, we know it happened. And even, I mean, even right now, even if it's not necessarily sexual, look at the George Floyd, the, oh man, wow, that all came out wrong. The George Floyd killing and the immediate response from the people who were defending the police were that, look, he was a criminal or look, he did these. Oh, wrong, he had a 20. Yeah, no, 100%. Right. 100%. Shaming happens. And it, it's, you know, um, unfortunately, when there's an imbalance of power, that's where we see that coming from. So I, I nothing about that made me question the validity. I mean, the, the movie's stylized and over the top anyways, right? Like that's a big part of the, the premise. De Niro is, is so big in this movie, but, big rightfully so i think it's the the performance that fits i um so uh, like oh go ahead no i i mean i was nothing specific i was just saying like, i don't i, I love de niro in this and i felt like even i don't know this oh. and bill watched i think he watched some of this with me maybe he watched the whole thing but i thought it was so funny because he like turns to me and we're like we kind of talked about it a little bit like Nick Nolte's character didn't sleep with Ileana Douglas's character, but they were still having a relationship that uh-huh. obviously his wife wouldn't be okay with, or he wouldn't be hiding it. And I mean, but I was like, he didn't sleep with her and Bill, but it's still not right. And Bill's like, no. And I think the only reason why they didn't have her sleep with her is so that we didn't absolutely hate him. Um, but he, well, we and, up- but I was just, like, he was already done that. And this was like, it, it, like, he's not a, a likable character. I don't think we're supposed to view him I don't- as, well, he's a flawed character, which is something I think is important. In every uh, single one of his movies. Nick Dolte or Scorsese? Scorsese. Scorsese. Right, but I think that's part of what he's examining is that people are flawed, but it doesn't make them inherently bad, right? Like, because he's yeah, still all of us. He's still a good guy when it comes to certain things, and he's an awful person as a husband, right? He's a horrible husband, and I think you could maybe, maybe by extension, say he's not the best father, but I also don't think he's a bad father. It seems like he cares about his daughter. He's not scummy to her, like he's not. Like he's like 
you know, he's not like a creepy father. Or, yeah. You know what I mean? Like he, like he's not like, oh, you're you're so hot or anything gross like that. Um, and but he he obviously like she doesn't like the fighting and and I don't blame her. I've I've been in homes where that's that's not a pleasant scenario to be where your parents are constantly at each other. And yeah, I mean, how many times is there a story where like the divorce is the reason the kid's unhappy or whatever? So you know, and they they have a upper class lifestyle. But yeah, he's he's a cheat and then thus a liar. And um, although this time he was being, like you said, he was being faithful in that he wasn't having sex, but he was definitely having a, a relationship with this woman as close to having sex as possible. Like they were, and obviously she was looking to have sex with him. There, she doesn't deny that, right? Like she's like, and she knows he's married and she doesn't deny that. But man, I, when, when she's crying, in the hospital bed. Oh yeah. After I mean, God, the when he bit her cheek off, and he just like, like spits it out like like ugh. it's nothing. Like he is a scary, a true monster, like psychopath oh, man. man. He's like so detached. Well, yeah, how he because well, in the worst part, like he she is more than willing, and then he still brutalizes her to make a point. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not like he's not. It's not about the sex for him it's about the brutalization right like it's not like this is a man who can't have sex with a woman and so he rapes her this is a man who rapes because he enjoys it and that is scary right like they're both scary but they come from very different places right like it's not he's not taking joy in the sex he's taking joy in the the brutalization and that's nightmarish to me like that's like awful like you you enjoy someone suffering Mm -hmm. that is sick like that's beyond and um, like we haven't even said that the girl that he did this to before was only 16 right and there's that scene where like the high school girls walk by his car and he's uh just like uh it's so so he's a horrible character and there's nothing supposed to be redeemable except that he's charming and he's able to put on an act but it's very very blatantly an act um and uh the the interaction though with her on the hospital bed when she basically says she doesn't want to testify because she knows what it will do to her reputation right like that they'll they'll say you were already having an affair you were promiscuous um you know so like what what's to say you weren't asking for this basically uh, confirming confirming though that yeah. the way it would have happened had he brought up that document um and remember what it I think what would really happen I'm not a, I feel like there's more to that speech that I should probably dissect to like fully grasp the legal ramifications but at the very least if you're talking remember the jury has to convict him of rape and if they can make you question whether or not she said no right then that's enough to get him out of it like her credibility that she I was feel sleeping like the around her cheek would have been plenty no, no, that's, but I'm saying the, the first oh, the, rape, the rape oh. that he went to jail for, right, like, if they could prove that she was sleeping around, then, you know, why, maybe she just chose to pick on him, you know, as the rapist or whatever, like, because uh, that, that discrediting the witness, that's part of the victim shaming that had happened. Again, uh, listeners, I am not condoning that. I'm saying that's how the tactic would work. This is in the make, movie, yeah. Well, you would make the witness or you, unfortunately it wasn't just in the movie because it has happened to too many people. Uh, I mean, there's a whole documentary um, that Lady Gaga did a song for called the hunting ground. 
uh, which was about the predatory nature of frats at colleges. Mm. Um, and uh, specifically, the, the tons of, of co- female college students who were basically told, like, what were you drinking? You know, what were, what you, were wearing? you wearing? Like, those are the questions. Um, and so it, it there's a, a large precedent for what this movie is offering that I, I, I don't think it's, right. it's, it's horrible it shouldn't be. i guess it should be I, the most surreal part of this movie but unfortunately it is not and it's, no that I, sucks. I don't know it's so hard because uh, it's 2020 i don't know i guess that some of me just can't I'm fathom how the- you can make that connection you know like and it, it did just piss me off during the movie, like that that would just make it okay because I can't believe that he wouldn't have done something equally horrible as when he like bit off Ileana Douglas's cheek. Like mm-hmm. I I can't believe he wouldn't do something like that to the first girl. Well, I I can only because now this man is fourteen years of seething rage that you know like it it's now it's the first time let's say it was it was more about the power and the sex this he's not he doesn't pick her because he wants to rape her he picks her because he knows it will hurt sam and it'll be a thing where sam can't do anything about it without revealing the relationship and the and the situation and basically wrecking his life because remember that's the words that he initially says to Sam when he walks away that one time after they like their first kind of discussion. Oh is, yes. You will know loss, right? Like so he's going to make him lose everything. Um and so sh- I think he would have done like who knows what he did to that first girl, but it wasn't it wasn't from a place of pure hatred like this one is, right? This one is Sam is the reason I've lost fourteen years of my life. And really you're the only reason that I was even found guilty. If you, if I had had another lawyer, you are I'm I'm probably off and and off to rape again because that's what would have happened, right? But because Sam had enough conscience, uh, enough of a conscience to not let this man go free by basically betraying his his barb, which uh, he makes him say the line is. Um, should zealously represent his client within the bounds of the law. And because at the time, the law could have been interpreted that this woman was promiscuous and her claims thus not valid enough to maybe get the conviction. I wish I'm, I feel like he explains it more. Um, but uh, I don't want to do like a bunch of reading right now. And I guess I feel bad for not being able to give an exact reasoning, but I do think that like, there's like a legal explanation for what he did not do. And um, that's insane. Of course, like, right. Like that's, that should not be, uh, but it is. Like, I, I'm kind of surprised like in this movie that he does bury it in the paperwork. It's still there. He doesn't present it as, you know, evidence or anything, but it's still there. And it's like, you hear about this happening now in cases or like you can watch the innocence project documentary. It's like a multi-episode thing on Netflix. And I highly recommend it where they do the same things, but it seems to me like a lot of the evidence has gotten rid of, but maybe I'm wrong. What, what I'm reading on, I'm reading the Wikipedia real fast. 
Um, the claim here is that this it wouldn't have got him off. It would have gotten him substantially lighter Lesser sentence. Lesser sentence. Okay. So it, maybe it's not 14 well, years. Maybe it's like two or three years. Because he did mention, um, like, I would have got probation or something like that. So um, that's okay. that's also, I think, an, an important detail for the it taking you out of the movie. It's not that he would have gotten away scot-free, but it would have been, subs- like, a huge, like, so that, three years or less kind of I thing. misunderstood that. I felt like it would have just oh. been... I think he said at one point he would have just gotten a battery charge. And like the rape oh. would have been lesser. And that would have yeah. been that that's the huge difference. Because batteries like you get probation and you're out in a few months kind of thing almost. You know. It he does talk about like the horrible things that happen to him while he's in prison and happened multiple times. Um and like it's admirable he's so awful but it's admirable that he teaches himself to read and he like learns law while he's in there but it's also very scary because he knows exactly what he can get away with like he's stalking them but he's not on their property or they don't see him doing these things so he can't be charged with them and just like you said that they don't put the rape on screen and i can't handle when movies put it on screen i'm sure that a lot of people are on the same page but um i was glad they left that off screen and then also that they left poisoning the dog off screen and watching the dog suffer um because <laughs> we know that he did that mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah it's, he, there's no question right and he gives them the collar like he just yeah. he knows exactly what line to get to without crossing Right. He's always like, he's supernatural. And another, to me, um, another moment that felt like an illusion to psycho was when, uh, when Katie kills the detective and he's wearing the, 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 uh, the, The the, yeah, like he's in quote unquote drag, but that's not accurate, but that definitely is like, even how he stands after he slits the guy's throat feels like he's, he's Norman Bates. Um, which I'm reading the Wikipedia a little more, and it, apparently the work of Alfred Hitchcock was also the influence of the original Cape Fear oh. uh, for director J.L. J. Leith in 1962, which makes sense because Hitchcock would have been making over 20 years worth of movies, although uh, Rear Window comes out in 54, um, which I know ex- very well right now because I'm planning on teaching Rear Window to my Viz Tech class in the next two weeks, so I'm, I'm building this whole unit. and um, So, yeah. Uh, again, that totally makes sense. I can't wait to watch the original Cape Fear. I'm going to try to do that this weekend if I can. Um, but also, uh, I mentioned the Spielberg uh, Scorsese thing. Listen mm-hmm. to this. Uh, I don't. Again, it's Wikipedia, so you always have to take it with a slight um, grain of salt. But uh, so uh, apparently, um, Scorsese's first choice to be Sam Bowden was not Nick Nolte. He wanted Harrison Ford. Oh. But Harrison Ford was only interested in, in auditioning for Max Cady, which I think most likely Scorsese had already locked in on uh, De Niro. Then, um, uh, in addition, Drew Barrymore and Reese Witherspoon auditioned to be Danielle. And apparently Spielberg had been looking at Bill Murray to be Katie. Which, what a flipping different performance that would have been. Um, not that he wouldn't have been interesting in that role. He would have been a different Why type of charming. so hard for me to see him as that type of character i can't think of of murray ever truly being a villain and partly because murray is murray he rarely is like the characters that he plays reflect the persona more so than the other way around um 
but I think you could make that like the Southern charm would have been a little bit more snarky sarcasm. Uh, and, but it would have worked. It just would have been a very different role for him. I, I don't know if I could see him being as violent, like De Niro violent. I a hundred percent buy, um, you know, because as he's been criminals, he's been uh, the taxi driver. He's the the antihero. I mean, we've seen scary. him be violent and scary. Although I, man, the performance in this is so, so freaking just. It's scary, but it's also like he's so engrossing. Like when he goes into his monologues and stuff, I'm just like I'm I'm hanging on every word, and I'm just like, wow, what is this guy is is so intriguing, and even the tattoos, which I think are a uh, Scorsese um vibe but like the whole religious elements uh which i think are important again to scorsese constantly kind of is is analyzing religion you think of mean streets and his main character kind of having this at odds with uh his faith and his job um and here is a rapist who's looking for revenge but has found some kind of weird solace in, in religion always like quoting the bible and stuff and i'm like who are you i think you're I mean, very the- confused about well, think of the misappropriation of, of the Bible, though, right? Like, it, that's the thing about it, is how many people in history have misinterpreted the words, or, to be fair, I guess, I shouldn't necessarily say misinterpreted, because that implies that my interpretation of those words that's are correct. is accurate, but th- there are interpretations, and we can use interpretations to mean whatever we want them to mean, right? You make them fit your own agenda, um, which we see all the time, whether or not one's right or one's wrong we see that manipulation of the words to mean the same words, mind you, to mean two very contracting things, uh, contrasting, excuse me. Um, and so I think that's here. And I think that again, ties into Scorsese's overall filmmaking style that he's constantly looking at his relationship with his own religion. I mean, silence is like the epitome of that, but you know, he does the, um, the last temptation of Christ with, with, uh, um, Oh my God. Any other time, Willem Dafoe, as Jesus, I believe, which I still have not seen, but that's like high on my list of Scorsese movies I need to check off. Um, and uh, yeah, I I just I, I I love him doing what he does in this movie. I think it's so interesting and it's so um, it's so unique. Um, I want to talk about a few scenes. Yes. So when he's getting beat up by the three hired guys, which is another mm-hmm. questionable thing that Nick Nolte's character does. Um, big time questionable thing, yeah. Giving, I mean, not giving. Even, it's not even questionable. It's that's a horrible idea. Right? Like he's... <laughs> yeah, and as soon as it like started, I was like, he is about to own them. Like, and then when he finally got the upper hand over three other people, like, oh, and what? I mean, of course he would step on something loud so that Max Katie could hear him. And I don't understand why he stopped going, like pursuing him by the dumpster because he had him. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like as many times as he tried to, you know, get him, like even having him re- repeat himself at the table. I'm like, he's recording this. And then he recorded it and used mm-hmm. it, you know? Um, And then when he was, under the car the whole time to the yeah. river by his belt. Yes. Get me out of here. I mean, again, he, there is like a, again, this movie's heightened. I don't, it's not going for realism, right? Like that's not what it's trying to do. And I feel like there's this kind of 
look at all the things that he goes through throughout the film. Like when he's holding the the flare and he's like proving after he gets the hot water thrown on him, right, and doesn't react. Um, he he lights the flare and the flare is like oozing this like I, I honestly I am not familiar with flares. I didn't know they would ooze that stuff I didn't or whatever. Either. Um, but I guess that's the thing. I don't know. But it's like it clearly is supposed to be really hot. Right? Again, it's like it's pouring it's over like his hand. He doesn't seem phased by it, right? So he and he mentioned something about his grandfather and like, uh, like being like a freak of some kind or something like that. Um, um, so you see, granddaddy used to handle snakes in church, which is another religious connotation, right? The the snake mm-hmm. handlers and stuff like that. Um, yeah, and, and so he's he says I'm more than human. So there is this like supernatural deity type. The, like message that he's playing with i don't think that we're supposed to think he is inhuman but at the same time yeah maybe there's like a demon maybe there's this like some kind of evil spirit that lets him keep going when normal people wouldn't feel like he's so detached like he can just turn everything off that you know which i think is probably the more literal and more likely like actual explanation but i think he is I think he's drinking his own Kool-Aid a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think he does think he's more. And that's, you know, that power trip that you mentioned, like it, it's, it's there. And I, I, I think that kind of explains like the, the belt thing. It's not impossible, mind you. And he does look kind of like out of it and not okay at the end Why of it. Why you burn your uh, hands? I mean, I feel like it would again, get all hot under there. He, well, he, he's definitely dirty, right? Like and his shirt's ripped and stuff. And he, he looks he looks more worn out than I think you see him in any other part of the movie. Like yeah. he looks almost beaten down. And then the the woman looks at him and he just <laughs> kind of like walks off. I, I'm like, why don't you say something? And then it's like, eh. mm-hmm. and then <laughs> um, again, maybe you'd be afraid to say something. You know? Yeah. I thought that. Um, and then like that whole like end fight, I just felt like some of it was so ridiculous. I loved when she lit his face on fire though. I thought that was great. Yeah. Good thinking. Um, there's just so, it's such a terrifying situation. Like he's making, trying to make the mother and the daughter take off their clothes and, you know, do these awful things and to them in front of them and the father, you know, like, um, I don't know, like, and I'm like, grab the gun, just shoot him, just shoot him. Um, yeah. Um, and then. I think that it's interesting, like, how at the point of breaking every single character is in this movie. Like, mm-hmm. we see the mom lose it, finally. She, like, just loses it, and she's, like, screaming at him, and that's when we find out about the affair. He grabs his daughter's face in a way that if my face was grabbed that like that, I don't know. I mean, you know, I feel like the way that Danielle reacted was completely 100%, you know natural real like i i could see myself reacting that way like i just feel like everyone is so on the cusp of just losing it well and i want to um and it's so both both nero and juliet lewis got oscar nominations for this movie oh. Neither one but both were nominated for an oscar um scorsese wasn't nor was the movie or anything and scorsese would not get an oscar nom until departed i think um, or at least not a win yeah. until Departed, which is which was pretty crazy when you look at his his history. Um, but not uncommon. Uh, Ebert gave it three stars, which I'm always a big fan of. Um, and uh, I also um, 
I the article that I mentioned from that director website. Uh, yeah, um, he he or he or she I actually don't know because again I don't see a name anywhere. But um, I believe at some point the writer says uh, this is how you do a remake. And while I've not seen the original, this movie, um, I don't know. It does feel like a really well crafted remake where it it stands on its own. Um, it does its own thing, and it's it's that's always important to me. If you're gonna do like a remake, you want the movie to, to feel like your own voice, like it's something like there's a reason you're doing. It. You're not just yeah, doing it for a cash grab. You're doing it because you have something you want to explore. Or you want to you want to you have a different take or or uh, idea of how to interpret the story or the source material. And um, I do I do get Scorsese themes in this. And again, he's clearly. Mm-hmm. And again, I've now read it multiple times, even though I, I do want my credit because I have watched enough Hitchcock to have recognized the Hitchcock in this, um, which, again, was one of the reasons I love this movie so much is I do love Scorsese and I do love Hitchcock. So getting to see Scorsese doing Hitchcock um, with his own take and twist on it, it's not it's, again, he's not like paint by numbers. It's not like when Van Sant made Psycho with the intent of kind of exploring like what, what would it be like to make this film like Hitchcock made it kind of thing. So it was a different experiment. So I'm not even really criticizing that because he was doing it intentionally. That was what he wanted to do. It was like, that's my, I want to see what it was like. This is more like Hitchcock influenced me. I want to try to make a Hitchcock movie, but my like not, but not do a Hitchcock movie. Like, like Cape fear was not Hitchcock's movie, but it's clearly influenced by Hitchcock and I want to put my hand at it. And I, for me, that was, again, it just, it worked so many ways. Um, and I do, I like the performances and I, I thought the movie was effective. I was on the edge of my seat at times. I was like, you know, Oh my God, what's going to happen. And, um, and Juliette Lewis, because this is what, like two years before natural born killers. I think if I'm not mistaken, it's gotta be really close. Um, she is in there. Right? I'm not making that up. Yeah, she is. 94. So three years before that. And I mean, yeah, she's, I think she's 21 when she's making this movie, but she's playing a 15 year old. Oh. Um, which is not uncommon at all for uh, no. actresses, but um, I think she's born in 73. So this is 91. So I'm sorry. She's uh, uh, 19. Math, math is hard. Yeah, nineteen. Um, so she's nineteen, playing a sixteen-year-old, and so she'll be uh, twenty-one when she's in Natural Born Killers. But she looks so much older to me in Natural Born Killers, like mm-hmm. not in like a negative way, but she looks like I, a grown-up in Natural Born Killers versus like a, a very young kid in in this movie. Exactly. I feel like the um, like I felt like I didn't realize that because it's still four years difference, um, which doesn't seem like a lot, but I feel like you go from being a kid to being an adult. I felt yeah. like she did a really good job making this character feel young and yes. being super believable because she is just, I don't know. And even just being so at odds with everything in her life, I don't know. Yeah, I thought she I mean, I'm not, I'm a fan of hers. Um, I saw Natural Born Killers as a kid, so probably like 95 because it came out in 94. I, I saw it on home video, so probably 95. Um and I, I didn't, I don't know, something about the movie just made me uncomfortable as a kid, like even, like I, I obviously, I, it's probably supposed to, because they're not good people or whatever, but I, I have, basically, my take on Oliver Stone has always been 
negative because of my experience as a kid watching that movie, right? And um, I've not gone back to it. I don't know. I kind of want to go back to it now because I, I, I appreciate her more as an actress now um, than I did then. And I definitely love Woody Harrelson now, which I don't know. I would have had, I would have seen uh, White Man Can't Jump at that point, but I still I don't think I would have liked him out of that character. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, and it's a dark movie. I can't remember the name of the movie that I just loved her in when I was a kid. Oh, it was called That Night. Um, mm. I loved that movie as a kid. And I mean, like, What's Eating Gilbert Grape? Um, yes. So I knew her from those things. I Oh, and The Basketball Diaries. Um, Didn't like that movie. I'm just, like, looking through, like, From Dust Till Dawn. I, like, forget she's in all these movies. And she was also a musician, guys. <laughs> I used to like her music. Oh. I don't think she's making music anymore. Um, I think it's Juliette Lewis and Juliette and the Light. Juliet and the Licks, I think, is the name huh. of her band. Um, but I, I like her. Hmm. I love her in Whip It. Um, oh yeah, very more directed film, and she's the kind of antagonistic, but also not. I really like her in that a whole lot. Um, I always forget she's in old school. She's uh, Will Ferrell's girlfriend at the beginning of the movie. Um, yeah, and I, you know, I wouldn't, I didn't appreciate uh, what's eating Gilbert Grape until I was much older. Um, I haven't seen a lot of her movies, I guess, in hindsight, but, oh, wow, I forgot she was on The Wonder Years. I would have seen all of those, because I watched that show very much. Oh, and of course, she's in Natural Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, where I love her. Um, Dude, I can't believe Whippets from 2009. Right, I know. Oh, the uh, other sister, I loved her in that, too. I don't think I know that one, um, but it's, she's in a lot of stuff, and I generally do like her, um. Uh, but I I thought she's really great in this movie. It, I'm glad to see it is on her top four um, on IMDb. Uh, I I saw Dust Till Dawn when I was young. Um, I kind of want to revisit it because of the Tarantino and um, Robert Rodriguez connection. Because I have become a fan of Robert Rodriguez, and uh, I really want to visit some of his other movies because he has done of the directors from that era of like the early nineties Sundance uh, indie guys like Kim Smith, Tarantino Rodriguez's filmography is the most eclectic because like, you'll see him do like dust till dawn, but then he did like the spy kids movies and shark boy and lava girl. And you're just like, what the like, hell? I know he <laughs> made them, but I always forget. And I'm yeah, like, it's, what? it's so different because he's made these like uber violent, like even like B movies basically like, Machete. yeah. And then, but then he's like, he's made these kid movies and and kids love them. Like my students still like rave about shark boy and lava girl now they're like they're getting where that those movies were already you know like several years old when they were born kind of thing you know what i'm saying like so like they were they weren't like the first generation of kids to see those movies they were watching them on like home video and stuff and are still big fans Older of them siblings. not right and uh so like and i i've never really watched those like mm -hmm. taylor was in the spy kids when she was younger but i managed to never really like sit through them all um, and we had like all of them on DVD. Like I bought all of them when I, we worked together at FYE. I bought them all like, cause they were like, you know, we'd have the used specials, like buy two, get one or whatever. And I bought them all used for her and she watched them like in rotation. And, uh, but yeah, it's just a weird, uh, thing. I don't know how I, how did I end up on this? Oh, dust still gone. But, um, yeah, I, I want to revisit that. And because uh, now I'm a bigger fan of her work and, uh, you know, appreciating what she can do. 
and she's had an interesting career because I feel like in the early nineties, it looked like she was going to be this really big, like, you know, household name, like actress. And then she went, uh, she kind of fell off after the, these movies. I mean, she does some weird roles. Like they're movies that are gonna make people uncomfortable, but that were really popular in terms oh, of yeah. like the zeitgeist. Right. The evening uh, star. But, um, I, I, I like this movie. I think it is a really cool study, especially again, I think for film nerds, um, getting to see Scorsese, uh, take on Hitchcock is just something that really, really clicked for me. And from what I talked to big tuna about and Matt, uh, they were both like, yeah, yeah, big time. Uh, and not surprised at all that I was really into it. Cause I, I think I was, again, the score kicked in. I'm like, wow, this feels like Hitchcock. And then I started doing research. I'm like, okay, I am a hundred percent right. <laughs> like scene of him like coming out of prison and walking into the camera was so weird and there were a couple of other like part you know like pieces of camera work that were so weird and i just can't remember what they were right now but i mean i uh, i need you to watch rear window and vertigo like as soon as possible um like we need to talk about the hitchcock movies um yeah it just it's they're so important um and I'm going to be talking about Rear Window a lot in the next couple of weeks because, again, that's my VizTech classes are going to be watching that next. And I can't wait because uh, this is their first, like, older movie. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to uh, introduce that. But um, is there anything else you want to say about Cape Fear before we, we move on to uh, looking ahead for next month? Mm, no. All right. For me... Um, I, I am going to go must-see, although I would be content saying not quite golden because I don't think it's a perfect movie. But I think for me, it clicks a lot of my, my film nerd checklist type stuff. Um, I, I thought it was very engaging. And because of all of the stuff, for me, again, things that I obsess over, it was a film study. This movie is like made to be studied, and I, I had a blast because of that, um, despite it being very difficult subject matter. And I definitely, I looked away when he went to bite her on the cheek. I was like, no, can't. And I was like dreading. I was like, please cut away, please cut away. And I was very grateful when he did, but he had me like begging for that to happen. So again, I feel like that's, that's good filmmaking because we don't want that to happen. And, um, to cut away is again, it's a, it's a tribute to the old style of filmmaking. Um, which I, I just, I'm all about. So it, it clicked all my, it, it checked a lot of my boxes. So, Hard for me not to give it the must see. Uh, I'm. Uh, I think you that. Know? Well, I feel like all the performances were really great, and I think that. Oh yeah. Like all of them were really good, and just so. I don't know, um, but there were just some things about the movie that threw me off. So I think that I will go. I'm torn. We'll just get both. Um, I'm Whatever gonna go. You... Well, I'm torn like a decent watch, but leaning more towards not Golden Pony Boy than not a total waste of time. Yeah, I mean, I would hope so. Uh, I, I, I don't think it's not a total waste of time. I feel like that's that would be hard because it's 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 an engaging movie, even if you don't yeah. like what's happening. It's not it's not like it's boring or slow or anything like that. Um, there's there's maybe like you could probably trim a scene or two out and and get the runtime down a little bit because I I think it I think it doubles up on the detective stuff that we could have probably uh, yeah with made that quicker yeah with the investigator and with the police officer I feel like maybe some of that could have been cut but yeah I don't think there was a lot of time wasted though 
No, and it and there's a couple like side characters that allude to like other stories that don't really go anywhere. Like the other lawyer he works with, like I'm just like yeah, 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 whatever. We don't need it. Just sets up a little bit of his character, but again, that could have been set up in other ways that were more efficient. But nothing horrible, mind you. I just think yeah, there's some there's some there's some stuff that could trim and just get the runtime to be a little tighter. Um, especially again, if you are familiar with Hitchcock, Hitchcock, especially with Rear Window and Vertigo, uh, notoriously was like basically only shot what he wanted in the final cut so he could have complete control over the edit. Um, and so like the movies are tight. They are like exactly what they should be. Uh, but that leads us to next month. So we're moving into October. And if you've been listening to movie club for any time now, you know that October means it's horror movie month. We have done that pretty consistently the entire time we've been doing this podcast. Um, and with that, uh, I, I am realizing one flaw in somehow uh, I think because we had moved some of the dates around with when we record that our we, the episode that will drop on Halloween is not a scary movie episode. <laughs> so may have uh, undercut the dates uh, when we switched some of the recording schedule. So I don't know, maybe we'll add a fifth horror movie after all, uh, which would be my pick uh, if that happens. Um, but for now we're doing for sure four episodes in the month and our theme is very, uh, different than our past themes. It's not as simple as just a horror movie. We're saying, I'll show you scary is the theme's name, but it is movies from the Rotten Tomato top 100 horror list, um, which we will link to in the show notes for those episodes. But so Corey and I scoured the list looking for horror movies on that list of top 100 movies that we had not seen, uh, to meet our movie club requirements. And it was harder than you you might think. We've seen a lot of the big movies that are on the list, but there were still plenty for us to choose from. Uh, the first movie that we're going to be watching um, for next month is my pick, and it's going to be A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night from 2014, which is currently on Shudder, and that's where we plan to watch it. Uh, then we'll be watching Don't Look Now. Um, I didn't write the year for that one, but it is on uh, Amazon Prime at the moment, and that does start Donald Sutherland if you're trying to confirm that you've got the right movie. Uh, following that one, we're going to be watching Eyes Without a Face, uh, a Blu-ray Criterion film that we have, but is also on HBO Max right now and rentable on Prime and iTunes. It's not on Vudu for some reason, but it is on those, and it is part of the Criterion channel as well if you have that. Um, but Eyes Without a Face, I picked and uh, bought a long time ago because Edgar Wright pulled it from the Criterion closet. And then Corey selected a movie I have seen, um, but I'm excited to rewatch uh, The Wicker Man from 1975. Um, one that Corey has not seen and definitely is worthy of checking off her uh, gap list there. And we might have a fifth. We'll, we'll wait and see. But for sure, we're doing those four movies for I'll Show You Scary. Again, movies from the Rotten Tomato Top 100 Horror Films. Um, until next time, Corey, where can they follow you on the internets? At Corey R. Star, two R's on the end. And I'm at Burke Reviews on that's Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd.com. If you like what we're doing, we ask that you take a moment, rate and review us. It helps other people find the podcast. And we look forward to hearing your thoughts on I'll Show You Scary Month. Is there anything you'd like to share with us? Hit us up on those uh, social media links and tell us your thoughts. Um, that's it for this episode. We'll be back next month. Keep watching movies. This has been a Burke Reviews podcast. Burkerviews.com